1: If I'm unable to remove the audio of the cat using the litter box in the background or crying uncontrollably, I apologize. We're just going to have to deal with it. So my wife had to go up and take care of the baby, so my dog was barking the entire time. So I'm hoping that she doesn't <laughs> come through much. Yeah, uh, it's it's there. Should Odell Beckham be the league's top paid wide receiver, the ideal fantasy landing spot for Des Bryant, and who will be the most targeted wide receiver on the Browns? All that and much more on RotoViz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at RotoViz. This is RotoViz Radio brought to you by the FFPC. I'm joined as always by Mr. Matthew Friedman, Editor in Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. Are you safely back in Iowa? Yes, I am back uh,
0: at my home base in Iowa, uh, no longer podcasting on the laptop. I have the full
1: computer. Everything is good. Wait, no no longer podcasting on the laptop, the full computer. Do you lead me to believe that, that you have a stationary PC? No, oh, of course. You d- really? Yeah. It's it's 2018. I didn't even know that, th- that things like that existed. Well,
0: cuz I want like the larger screen. And I just, you know, like, I don't know, like, I don't want to have to, like, I want my, like, my laptop just to be, like, the thing that I I use when I'm, like, going around the house. But otherwise, like, I'm fine with just having, like, the stationary PC.
1: Um, not to get too, I forget if it was Nick or Ned Burns, your company's computer guy on you, but you realize that you can plug a laptop into a larger screen. No, This is not, you you know.
0: No, 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 no. I, I know, I know. It's, it's, it's stupid, but it's just, like, I kind of like having, I just like having it. Uh, like, it's just, you know, like all part of like my, my setup where I just, I'm in my office, uh, and it's just sort of there. I don't know. I I can't, I can't explain. I mean, I know it's stupid, but like, um, yeah, I don't know. Plus, plus it's just, it's uh, just, well, the thing is like, plus it's like, it's, it's, uh, you know, like the laptop, um, I'm like on different sort of like technological, um, like timelines. With like the laptop versus uh like the the stationary like just desktop. So like I feel like I feel like when I was buying it, it just made sense to like buy the like the desktop and be like, okay, I'll worry
1: about the laptop later. Wow, this is this is really blowing my mind I, I may have just lost some respect for you as a human being that's totally fine i mean
0: if, if this is what causes people to lose respect for me uh they should have been losing respect for me
1: long before this <laughs> all right well i think we can move on from there i i hate to derail another show with this with this needless banter in the beginning and we'll try not to make maybe i should just start jumping into the first topic before even checking in with you um yeah that that would, is what be, we're gonna that do would now. be good that would be good yeah all right, uh, we'll, we'll go back to that next episode. So the thing that I wanted to talk about first, Matt, is Odell Beckham Jr., as we all know, wants to be paid. And I can't blame the guy. So we're reaching a point where that contract negotiation probably will be starting. I would imagine that there's already been some going backs and forth at this point. Um, so the Slytherin wide receiver... What do you think? Should he be the top paid wide receiver in the NFL? Um, it's interesting. I mean, I guess this
0: is a good opportunity for me to like embarrass myself over, uh, football takes as opposed to non football takes. Um, okay. But yeah. I mean, sure. I think he, I think he probably should be. And I, okay. So I think there's a very good case for someone like Antonio Brown or Julio Jones, uh, to mm-hmm. be the number one receiver based on what they've done. But I think that is a little too retrospective in the way that you are calculating their value. So I think, you know, like and so it's hard to know in just in any walk of life what you should be paying someone based on the future production you can expect to get from that person. So normally you just look at what the person has done and use that as some sort of like projective uh like forecast for what you might be able to expect but it's different with NFL players but so like i think you have with Odell Beckham you have a player who hits this the sort of sweet spot of like he's accomplished enough up to this point to be worthy of being paid a lot but he still has uh i think easily enough years left in his career to justify like he's entering his prime uh so enough years left in his career to like justify a large contract where you can expect him to to be one of the top receivers for the next five, seven years, like I think that's possible. So I think, yeah, if he's the number one uh, receiver in terms of being paid, I think that's fine
1: Yeah, and I was trying to disagree with this with this premise, because my initial take was, I think that Antonio Brown is the best receiver in the league right now. So I had to try to find something to support it. You go and you look at the numbers; they're pretty similar. You know, they're both players that manage to find the ed- the the end zone frequently, lots of touchdowns, lots of yards. They can handle a very heavy, substantial target load. Rack up the receptions. So when I try to point to the consistency on the Antonio Brown side, it's not really an argument that separates the two because. Granted, Odell missed last season with an injury, but we can't knock him for that. He has been very consistent through those first three years of his career, which may even speak more to his value than you could make the case for Brown. You know, he didn't come out right out of the gate as hot as OBJ did. So you look at that, you can't really separate them there. You look at what they bring to their team in their specific offenses. And I think it's hard for us as observers to distinguish which player brings more to their team. I think they're both a guy that cause a lot of problems for opposing defenses. And I have to imagine that Odell probably creates more of an issue to defend a player like Antonio Brown, as awesome as he is. And as much as I like him, you look at the measurables athletically, he's not as much of a specimen as OBJ. You know, he doesn't have that elite athleticism, which is weird. So he really is that tactician. But if they're posting similar results and you look at that, you have to say, say OBJ is probably the more talented player. So if we're really looking for minutia to separate them. It's really hard for me to go against OBJ. And then, you know, Antonio Brown is 30. I still think he has a couple of good years in him, but we know that Beckham is entering the prime of his career so you really can't point to more uh, value or production coming out of Brown currently and you can't really expect more in the future so I think it's very very hard to make the case against Odell Julio Jones is another guy I was considering but as we talked about last week he does not have at this point I think it's fair to rule the ability to find the end zone that these two guys have obviously he can put up a lot of yardage can do a lot of other things on the football field than just score touchdowns. But if we're really trying to separate them, that is something that needs to be there. So at the end of the day, it's really hard for me to say that OBJ should not be the highest paid player.
0: Yeah. And then I think, uh, so we touched on three wide receivers there. I think there's a big fourth one in DeAndre Hopkins. And right. uh, I think there's there's a case to be made for him in that uh, he's just been so consistent, uh, productive with a number of really bad quarterbacks to open his career. And then we saw what he was able to do in a small sample with Deshaun Watson. Uh, at that point, he looked like the, the best wide receiver in the league. I mean, it's a small sample. So you really can't project that moving forward. But if DeAndre Hopkins were the number one receiver in terms of salary, I don't think that would be some sort of like injustice. So, uh, you know, any of those four, I think it's fine. But Odell, I think is the guy who has the best combination of Previous production with reasonable expected future production.
1: Yeah. Uh, And before I get to my next point, if I'm unable to remove the audio of the cat using the litter box in the background or crying uncontrollably, I apologize. We're just gonna have to deal with it. So I may or may not cut this out. We'll see. But the point I also wanted to bring up, which you touched upon, was something that we commonly see in baseball is players getting paid for that past production. And lots of times in baseball, it comes at a point where you already know that you're not going to get the performance level that you're paying for. So it's like you're retroactively paying players, which is something that I don't think we see quite as much of in the NFL, but it's still there uh so i agree with you on all of those points but just to give people out there an idea currently the average salaries for players so this is looking through the current contract that they're in in 2018 antonio brown with an average of 17 million will be the highest paid wide receiver mike evans at 16 and a half million followed by deandre at 16.2 sammy Watkins with his new deal in kansas city slates in at four with 16 million then we see jarvis landry with 15.1, AJ Green at 15, Devontae Adams 14.5, all the way down to Julio at 14.2. So I think when you look at all of that, OBJ, I've heard, is looking for 20 plus million. Do you think that if you're the Giants organization, you look at these other numbers out there and you think that it, it makes sense to go ahead and give him 20 million, maybe even more? Uh,
0: I mean, twenty million is just so much. I would shoot for. You said uh, Antonio is around seventeen, right? Yep. I think I would shoot yep. for eighteen to nineteen. You know, I mean, I, I guess if you're at that point and you can't get a deal done unless it's twenty, then I guess you have to go to twenty. But uh, I, I would hope for
1: eighteen. I would hold the hard line at eighteen. I think. Right. I think it's really hard to make the case that he's deserving of the 20 million, um, because that would be saying that there's a real significant separation between him and those other receivers and that his, like, I think that you should be paying these players and you're pricing them at how they impact your ability to win football games. And I think if we're looking at that $20 million number, it's hard to say that, you know, the difference that he can make for that team, I think for the $20 million, you have to be able to make the case that I'm taking this team far in the playoffs no matter what. And as good of a receiver he is, I don't know if the position and he can really do that. Also, I think if I'm the Giants, I don't really believe heading into this season, maybe they think a couple years down the road, but I'm not sure that we can really make that push. I think if I knew we were going to be a contender in the next year or two, I might be more inclined to do it. But long-term, that's a lot of, you know, that's a big salary, especially if he's going to be looking for multiple years.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. Although I think the the Giants uh, might be, especially like their general manager might be
1: egotistical enough to think that they could compete right away. Yeah that that probably is fair. Um so I guess we'll, we'll find out on that and I'm sure we're going to have a lot more that we can die digest there once that deal comes out. Maybe it'll be a trickle down effect. The one thing that I, I do find interesting before we move on just as I'm looking through that list is the pricing that these wide receivers did get being Watkins and Jarvis Landry two of the recent guys they were able to get themselves I mean Sammy into the 16 million I I am impressed by that but still you know it's hard to imagine OBJ getting into the 20 and then Jarvis Landry at the 15.1 mark is very impressive uh, especially to land that in Cleveland but we're going to talk about that situation in Cleveland in more depth later before we do I want to remind our listeners that you can get a listeners only 30% discount to a RotoViz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotovis.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content and it supports the pod. And you can also support the pod by subscribing to and rating the RotoViz radio channel on iTunes. Do that, and you'll be eligible to win a free $35 entry into a league at the FFPC. Go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, and then listen to future episodes to hear if you are the winner. Also, if you're interested in being in an FFPC league with some of the RotoVis writers and broadcasters, email us at rotovisradio at gmail.com and we'll get that set up. And don't forget, we want your bold predictions, any questions and comments that you have. Leave us a voicemail at 978 925 7628. We've already had some come in. Once we get more, uh, We can do our first segment with them. So please get those in. Give us your bold predictions. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Another wide receiver who a couple years back maybe could have made the case for being the highest paid wide receiver in this league. Definitely not at that point anymore. And that is Des Bryant. So he's let go by Dallas. It has been reported that Baltimore was interested. And I believe the number was 21 million over three years. Des would prefer to play on a one-year contract, where he can prove it from a fantasy perspective, we'll take those other considerations out of it. Do you have an ideal landing spot for Des? Where would you be excited about him going in 2018?
0: Uh, well, when he was released, I was originally hoping he would sign with the Giants. In uh, some way, he mm-hmm. wanted to sign with the Giants. It was kind of known that Brandon Marshall was going to be cut. Uh, I don't. It's not as if I think Sterling Shepard is not a good player, but I don't think he, I mean, he's, he's a slot receiver. Like they need another receiver on the outside. And my thinking was that he could actually do pretty well, uh, with a lot of coverage going to Odell Beckham, uh, you know, coverage in the interior of the field going to Shepard and Evan Ingram, uh you know defenses having to stack the box a little bit more against Saquon Barkley, Des would be in really like the best situation of his career to exploit uh soft coverage. Um one, I don't think he's gonna go there though. Uh and then two, I just still don't know if I trust that uh that that defense, sorry, that, that offense. And I also don't know if he would mm-hmm. get enough targets opposite of Odell Beckham. So I think actually the and it sounds almost dirty to say this, but I think one of the best landing spots for him can maybe be with Indianapolis. Um, and this is like assuming that Andrew Luck actually comes back, which is a huge assumption and, uh, not, not anything that we can take for granted, but all they have there is T.Y. Hilton and he's more of a, um, I think Hilton has been a good, uh, kind of pseudo number one, but I think Hilton has is best if he has another pretty established wide receiver with him, someone who can help draw coverage just a little bit so that he can get open deep. Um, but right now, it's T.Y. Hilton, and then Chester Rogers is literally the number two receiver. Uh They have no one behind Hilton, and their tight ends are Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron. Doyle is okay, but he's not really, I think, a competent Number two receiving option for a team. So, you know, my thinking is that if Andrew Luck were healthy, if Des Bryant were there, he could get a lot of targets. And, you know, if Andrew Luck is there, that offense could be much better than it has been in the past. So I think Des could have some underrated touchdown potential, red zone potential. Uh, so I guess I'm going to go with the Colts, but I don't, I don't have strong conviction on this, but I'm going to go with the Colts.
1: That's an interesting one. That is one that I had not considered when I was thinking about spots where I'd like to see him land. It is interesting. Naturally, T.Y. Hilton really is the only receiving threat that they have there. So you have to imagine there'd be ways that they could get Des involved. And I think having a player like him that defenses would have to consider would open up some things for Hilton and would be good for the team overall my gut reaction is from a fantasy perspective though i don't know if i would be too excited i'd also be concerned about dez producing in the red zone which has been a key element of his game but that is an interesting option so i thought of two other locations for him well the funny thing is the the best spot for him i think the spot that makes the most sense is dallas Dallas. but they let him go
0: (laughs) Right. right it is dallas
1: yeah Yeah. Right. Like I kept, I was going through this infinite loop while I was considering this question and I kept arriving back Dallas. I was looking at vacated targets. I was looking at red zone targets vacated and all signs led me back to Dallas. Yeah. They need a player like Des
0: Bryant, you know, but, but like what Des Bryant used to be two or three years ago, not so much what he is now, but, but the role that he will play in whatever, uh, offense he, he is, uh, inserted into that is the role that he has played previously in dallas it's just he probably won't play it as high of a level
1: yeah so the the spots that i did come up with i see him doing something similar now this is a a situation i don't think i would have been that excited about him possibly landing and if i hadn't taken the time and gone back and realized that Jarvis Landry led all receivers in red zone targets last year with 24. He had 18 receptions in the red zone and 10 touchdowns. Did you even realize that that Landry was this much of a red zone weapon last season?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's it's a little bit, uh, yeah, I think that's more of an outlier. It's interesting. I mean, the Dolphins, that, that's that's interesting to talk about that more.
1: Yeah. So not that I expect that Bryant... Even if he were there, was going to get those 24 targets because that is a lot. But I do think if you look at the rest of this team, Kenyon Drake, if he is the starting running back, I feel like, you know, he's not going to be an obvious go to at the goal line. Frank Gore at this point, I don't see him as a must handoff. Then I look at. Albert Wilson, Danny Amendola, they're not really red zone threats. Kenny Stills, Devontae Parker, I don't think that either of them project as guys that can be the go-to in the red zone. So Des, even if that target share comes down, I'm not expecting him to get a lot of yards. Maybe they can find him a role somewhat with an intermediate look. And then when they get in the red zone, they turn to him. Because I think at this point in his career, we're going to be hoping for a lot of touchdowns not that we can expect those 24 red zone targets, but it does speak to that their main guy in the red zone is now gone. I can't say that I'm too in love with Ryan Tannehill being the quarterback there coming in. You know, it's possible that some of what we see in that outlier season from Landry relates to Cutler just locking onto him. But nonetheless, I think it's a decent option. You know, and then they also with the young tight end, we know even though... Gusecki is so talented, it takes these guys a couple of years to really acclimate in. So to me, it just seems like he is a player that could fill a void that they need and probably still might be the best wide receiver on that team if he doesn't land in Miami.
0: Yeah, it's that's interesting. Um, so you're taking the perspective more of red zone target share uh, and I, right. I definitely get that. I think I'm taking the perspective more of maybe kind of like overall target share because I, I think in, in like sort of competition, because I think if he is in, I think if he's in Indianapolis, he could get a lot of targets. Like I, you know, I think yeah. he could actually be the number one receiver in that offense. Uh, I just don't know if he would actually have a chance of being the number one receiver in Miami. And then even if he mm-hmm. is, I don't know if, if he would be sufficiently, uh, more dominant than Devonte parker and kenny stills like i could see it being split between the three of them pretty evenly
1: right yeah that's definitely a possibility uh so the other team i did i did identify this is kind of an interesting one as well uh and i i you know don't really think I'd be too pumped about either of these. The spot that I would have been the most excited about is Green Bay, but with Jimmy Graham going there, I don't really think that uh, it still has the allure that it did. So the second option that I came up with was Jacksonville. Naturally, Dez has always had the younger receiver, Alan Robinson, compared to him Robinson is now gone. The other interesting thing is Alan Hearns is gone. In 2017, Marquise Lee and Alan Hearns led the team in red zone targets with eight. So again, I'm going back to that. Well, the season prior when Robinson was healthy, he saw 19 targets in the red zone. Alan Hearns saw 13 in the red zone. Naturally, the team has a running back in Leonard Fournette that they could rely on there. But I also think that in this offense, Des might be able to bring a dimension that's not there with these younger receivers that they have, bring in a veteran presence, play alongside Marquise Lee. And though the team is going to be mainly focused on the rush, I do do think that they are going to be competitive. Their defense will keep them in games for sure, which should allow Dez, if he were to land in that spot, to kind of take over some of the things that Robinson was doing. Hearns is gone. They have these young receivers. They need somebody else to step up, I think.
0: Yeah, man, that's interesting. I I think that would be a, a pretty bad landing spot uh, mm-hmm. for a few reasons. So I, I get everything that you said, but I think Leonard Fournette will occupy uh, a lot of the goal line opportunities. And then I think, um, it would be hard for Dez to, um, to outcompete like the, the combination of Moncrief, Keelan Cole, and then DJ Shark. Uh, I just like, you know, like, I think like those guys will sort of function the way that they would maybe want Dez Bryant to function.
1: Right. So these were kind of outside the box locations I was trying to come up with. I know I've heard other people mention New Orleans as a decent landing spot. I think that there's actually enough talent in that roster that it wouldn't be, you know, a dynamite landing spot for him. And I'm also not convinced that New England at this point would really be as excellent of a spot either when you consider, you know, that they have guys that they can use in that short Game they have Gronk in the end zone. Do either of those teams stand out to you as good spots? Either or are they just too loaded?
0: Yeah, I, I think they're too loaded. I mean, I like I'm really thinking of this in a couple of ways. One, uh, is, is Des Bryant going to be the number one or the, the clear number two receiver on the team? Like, is he going to be able to out compete the other guys? And in New England. I don't think he's better than Julie, Julian Edelman. I don't think he's better than Chris Hogan. And then, you know, Gronk mm-hmm. is basically another receiver. And then they also, uh, you know, g- they give a lot of targets to their running backs too. So right. I don't know if he would be able to function in a, a high capacity way. And then it's basically the same situation in New Orleans. There are other receivers there who at this point are probably better than Dez is. Uh, I think you would kind of be hoping that maybe he could function as like a smaller move tight end type of player uh, with with New Orleans because they they need a tight end. One sleeper is, uh you know, I, I mean, OK, like at this point, we're basically just or I'm mentioning just AFC East teams, but like <laughs> like the Buffalo Bills would be a horrible situation, but he would be the number one receiver on the team and they do have targets. Uh, but I, again, a horrible situation, and it's I, I think similar thing with the New York Jets. Uh, I, he won. I don't think he would be better than Robbie Anderson, but I think he would be clearly better than Jermaine Curse, probably better than Quincy and and I think there could be targets there. Um, they don't really have a, an established tight end, so I, you know I think like I'm I'm looking more for you know like can he out compete the other receivers. And then will there be the targets there? Um, you know, so I don't think that's the case for the Patriots and the Saints. It can maybe be the case for the Jets or the Bills, but that's really why I was looking at the Colts.
1: Yeah, so as my dog barks in the background, which perhaps will will remain in this episode as well, uh, it comes down, I, I gather here, an almost counterintuitive thing which is perhaps the best landing spot for Des from a fantasy perspective is to land on a team with a bad offense where he can just kind of shift and basically just absorb uh, uh, excuse me absorb all of the targets that a team can send his way. So perhaps there's no real exciting landing spots and we just need to hi- uh need him to kind of become a compiler. Having said all of that, we'll close with a two part question. Do you think that Des is washed and what is his ceiling on the season with, you know, a hypothetical, let's call it situation that would allow him to be either a number one or a number two in the roster?
0: Yeah, I don't think it. Yeah, I think he's pretty close to done. Uh I think he could maybe be in terms of fantasy. uh, If he ends up in a situation where he's just getting volume, maybe he could be a wide receiver three. You know and just in terms of like raw fantasy production at the end of the season, but yeah, I'm not overly optimistic on his potential
1: yeah it's it's sad, but i I hate to say it, but I think the days of desert are, are nearing an end. Let me tell you about our friends at the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. The fantasy draft season is heating up, and the FFPC has a format to suit every interest and budget, whether you like best ball or super flex or classic managed leagues, there's drafts. Filling daily with entry fees starting at just $35. Jump into a slow draft or a live draft today. If you like Dynasty, the FFPC has almost 200 active Dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at $77 and going up to $2,500. The incredible thing, not a single Dynasty league has folded in eight years. New Dynasty leagues are forming right now with startup drafts launching on a regular basis. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Filling in the blank. Our game last week was popular enough that we decided to bring one back in, Uh, not a former game show, and, uh, you know, I had to find random music there, so I hope you liked it. But Matt, what's going to happen here is I will read a sentence, and then I want you to fill in the blank with wherever that mind of yours goes after I read it. Make sense? Okay.
0: This (laughs) might not be good. My mind can wander, so this might not be good.
1: We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Well, if yours does, you know, my mind is my synapses are firing right now. So I'll get, I got you covered okay. the highest scoring wide receiver and points per game will be.
0: Oh man. I think that's the wrong question. <laughs> Sorry, no, no. Uh, so, okay. So to answer this straight, I would say, um, I think it will be, you know, one of the four, like one of the big four, it will be like, I think the odds are, it will probably be Antonio Brown, but it could be OBJ or Julio or DeAndre Hopkins. I think the, the, the question is not necessarily, uh, who is the highest scoring wide receiver going to be? Because I think, uh, it's, it's a, it's basically a toss up between one of those four. And, and then maybe Mike Evans is like an, an outlier or, or, uh, Keenan, uh, uh Keenan Allen as a potential guy who could sneak in there. Like it's so hard to project. Uh, over the season, who is going to be the highest scoring guy? I think what is important though is that you think about in your drafts, uh, kind of positioning yourself so that maybe you can grab, uh, you know, the fourth guy in that top tier. So I think it's what, what isn't important is who ends up being the number one guy, uh, in points per game out of that tier. But like, can you get the most value within that tier of guys who have a realistic chance of being the number one overall wide
1: receiver. Okay, that's fair. I was hoping we could get some more conviction out of you that you could <laughs> plant a flag in one of them. Which was I'll, I'll, kind go, of with, the I'll go with
0: Antonio Brown. I'll go Antonio Brown.
1: Okay, that's what I was going to go with too. I agree with you completely. It's really hard. We don't have anything we can actually point to at this point to separate them, except that I think that Brown will be playing in the best offense that will give him the most opportunity to accrue the production required to finish with the most points per game. And I also think that he has the, um, the quality of targets that have sustained him at this point being so strong for the last couple of years. He's going to have those 10 touchdowns. He's going to accrue that yardage. He's going to have those big games and spread out his points in a consistent fashion. So I like Brown. Obviously, that's not groundbreaking analysis, but your point about trying to scoop up one of those guys, I do think that's going to be a key thing this season. And one of the reasons that I actually I'm kind of bifurcating my strategy. I think if I have a lower pick, I actually might be more inclined this season to do something I haven't done in years, which we're going to get into uh, in more depth in a future episode. And that would be go with... A running back. However, I do think you could be positioned nicely in some leagues. If you're in a 12 team league, for example, you're drafting in the 11 or 12 spot to hopefully get one of those guys and then move into that second tier wide receiver with your next pick. So let's switch this question. The out of excluding the top tier of wide receivers, the highest scoring wide receiver in points per game will be. Sorry, excluding the the top 4 guys. Excluding the top 4. So give me and I know you said Mike Evans. So maybe just give us one other name of a guy that realistically could do this.
0: Yeah, I mean I think it could be Michael Thomas. You know, uh okay. so he's a guy who has I think the the quarterback to do it. He's in he's in the offense. Uh if their defense regresses a little bit, uh, that could put more pressure on the offense where they have to start throwing the ball a little bit more uh, like they did in seasons before last year. Uh, and I mean, Michael Thomas has been one of the best wide receivers in league history within his first two seasons. And I think he has more room as a touchdown producer. So he was getting targets, he was getting uh his receiving yards. Last year he didn't have a great uh like, you know, correlation between targets and yards and then uh turning those into touchdowns. Uh so I think we could see even more touchdowns from him in the future. And if that happens, I I think he actually could be a guy who has like 1300 yards and 12 touchdowns. Like I think that's within his realistic range of outcomes. And if some of the other guys don't perform as well, then I think he could be the number one receiver.
1: Yeah, certainly. And he's an example of one of those guys that I do think, like I said, if you get those, those picks that allow you to stack Two wide receivers. You could have, if things break right, a scenario where you're somehow able to get um, like a Julio Jones and a Michael Thomas or a Julio Jones and a Devontae Adams. Still one of those popular combinations that might involve uh, like an AJ Green. So maybe we, rece- we, we see receivers bounce back this year and have a solid season, but it does seem like we're more or less in agreement that if we're looking for the players with the best chances of scoring, at the top of the point-per-game leaderboard at the wide receiver position, it's likely Hopkins, Brown, Jones, and wow, forgive me. I forget the other obvious options. O- I say, O-B-J. Hey, OBJ. OBJ, thank you. Yeah. Right. Okay. Here, we talked a, about him so much already. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's a
0: question. Uh, you mentioned Devontae Adams as a guy kind of in that second tier. And I'm curious about your thoughts on, uh, the, the potential he might have really to replace Jordy Nelson as Aaron Rodgers number one receiver. Uh, because obviously Adams was great last year. But within the past two years, when Rodgers has been on the field, Jordy Nelson really has been still his number one receiver. So, and Nelson for for years was a guy that you could get as maybe the, the fifth to like ninth wide receiver in drafts, but he had the potential to be a top three wide receiver in terms of fantasy production. Like he was routinely in that range. So the question is, does Devontae Adams right now, he's going, let's say, like wide receiver six to nine. Does he have, you think, like a very real chance with maybe some more targets playing a little more of the Jordy Nelson role? Does he have a chance to be like a, a top three fantasy
1: receiver? I uh, Yeah, I absolutely think that he does. I mean, if you go back, I remember when he was coming out of Fresno State, he was a popular choice on RotoViz was coming out of a strong class. So there was a lot of receivers to like. But for me, it comes down to if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I look at 2016, I see that he turned 121 targets into 12 touchdowns. Last season, 117 targets, 10 touchdowns. The thing that we saw Jordy produce the most and was so good at was finding the end zone. Well, Adams has proven that he can do that. So I don't see any reason that you wouldn't have that confidence in him. He's proven it two years in a row. Your favorite target in Nelson is gone. Talented receiver like Adams comes into the fold. I think that it's very very likely that we see Rodgers lock in in you know lock in on him. Now, does the presence of Graham kind of create a situation that makes it harder for Adams to produce at that level? I don't I don't think so cuz we've seen when Randall Cobb was playing alongside Nelson, there were seasons he was scoring double digit touchdowns and Nelson was as well. Uh and on a every play kind of basis, I think it makes sense that Adams would be much more involved than Graham. Perhaps I'm off base on that. And I know that Cobb is still there. But yeah, I think that there's no reason that Devontae Adams shouldn't become the focal point of the passing attack, that Rodgers shouldn't heavily target him. And there's really not much I can pinpoint that would really preclude him from having that upside. Are you kind of on the the same page with me there? Maybe there's not the probability like a Michael Thomas, but I, I think that, you know, from an outside chance, he is one of the best shots of finishing in that top tier of guys of any player that we didn't already include in it.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. Uh I like um Jimmy Graham, just in terms of sort of like I think he's been a great player in the league. Uh and and I do uh I do believe that he has the potential to siphon a lot of the red zone opportunity that uh Jordy Nelson was getting last year, but I still think DeVonte Adams is going to get enough where he he has a pretty decent chance of finishing in the
1: top 5, maybe top 3. Yeah, you know, and the more that we talk about some of these guys, the more excited I am getting about wide receivers. I know that they've been down the last couple of years. I wrote a piece earlier uh, in the... Actually, it was back in the winter. It was in February called Where Have All the Wide Receivers Gone, uh, which you could check out. And we're going to get into some of that on a uh, more deeper level in the coming weeks. But there are a lot of young wide receivers out there that maybe we haven't seen the best seasons from yet. Another group of wide receivers in Cleveland, two guys that I like and i still see having a lot of potential and that is josh gordon and jarvis landry and i think on some level we could include Corey coleman in that mix from a fantasy perspective perhaps it's hard to tease out if gordon or landry would be the guy to own but from a pure target perspective do you think that the browns are going to be emphasizing one of those players more than the other uh yeah i think it's josh gordon uh, I could be wrong. You know, I, I really could
0: be wrong, but I, I think he's the more talented guy. Uh, He has been a target hog historically. Uh, And so, you know, Jarvis Landry is in a new system. Um, You know, Josh Gordon has history there with the team of being a, you know, like number one overall fantasy wide receiver. I think he's the guy who should
1: get the targets. Ah, uh, I actually on this one, I think see this um, this offense functioning in a way where they're going to like the fact that they can rely on Landry being an option on passes that are easy to complete, high percentage type of guy that will allow the offense to get going, be it Tyrod Taylor passing or Baker Mayfield coming in. Gordon certainly is the more talented wide receiver from a pure uh big play ability type of perspective. But I do think that there's a lot of good things Jarvis Landry can do. So we're kind of on the opposite side of the fence right there. But I guess the ultimate question is, with these targets being split, let's say that one of them can run away with it. Can either of them finish as a wide receiver one from yeah, a fantasy Josh, perspective? Yeah, Uh I think Josh Gordon can. <laughs> Josh Gordon, yeah, I think
0: Josh Gordon can, and I think Jarvis Landry cannot. <laughs> you know, that's that's what I think. But I mean, I, like Jarvis Landry was, I think, in a, a situation that in Miami that will not translate to Cleveland. It, it might, you know, he has potential. Um, but he's just he's just a pure accumulator, whereas Josh Gordon is someone who can accumulate on targets, but who can also be amazingly efficient with the targets he gets.
1: OK, that's a fair point. The one thing that I want to point out, though, is we've seen through Jarvis Landry's career, him playing with other talented wide receivers. I mean, you go back to college, right? On that Louisiana State offense, Landry at times was the guy that they were going to over OBJ. So I think that sometimes we want to discredit Jarvis Landry for his style of play and assume that he's not as talented or as strong of a wide receiver as he may be yet you put him up against the likes of obj he holds his own you bring him into miami right out of the gate he's holding his own we've seen him be able to suppress other players such as Devonte parker juries out on how good he was but it correct me if i'm wrong wasn't he actually uh wasn't landry in miami with brandon marshall and he was still successful on uh, his rookie season
0: uh i mean successful for maybe like the second half of his year uh, but yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he's been with good receivers. Um, but, you know, I don't know. At that, at that point, actually, Marshall, um.
1: Uh, was it Marshall? I, I might be making that
0: up. Actually. I, I think he, I think
1: he was with, uh, Wallace. Oh, okay. Well, that would change the situation a lot. I'm just going to very quickly look up 2014 Miami right here. Okay. Yeah. So correction there. Yeah. He was not with Brandon Marshall, but I do think, you know, some of the guys that he's played with have been good receivers, maybe not as good as Marshall back in 2014, but still, I think it speaks to his ability to become a key player in an offense. I think though, I would have to be with you from a fantasy perspective. The ceiling in the upside for Gordon is much higher than Landry because on any given play, he has the ability to break off a big play and it would make sense that they're going to want to make use of that. And with him already having been in Cleveland, Landry still needs to assimilate. Uh, he would be the receiver that I it's hard. It's weird for me to say, cause I've liked Landry so much in his career, but I think if it came down to it, I'd have to go with Gordon again, because of that upside. So moving on from wide receiver, a couple running backs. I want to talk about Jay Ajayi will be a top fill in the blank running back. Hmm. Uh, I think he will be a top 24, but just
0: barely, I think it will be more like he is like a low end running back too. Um, I think he maybe has potential to be more than that, uh, but that would really be dependent on other running backs in Philadelphia. Really disappointing. Uh, I, I don't think it will be an instance of Ajayi is so good that he seizes a lot of the workload from the other guys. But, you know, we are talking about a running back who has two straight, you know, thousand plus yard, uh, campaigns from scrimmage. Uh, he hasn't had a lot of touchdown product, uh, production, but I think that's kind of fluky. Like, I, I think we could see him get, you know, much more uh of the the goal line opportunity this year, uh, especially with
1: Legarrett Blunt gone. So uh yeah, I think he he could be a top 24 guy. So Ajayi, I the first thing that came to my mind was top 36. I think I'm harder on him than I need to be. I mean you do have to be talented to a degree to have three two hundred plus yard performances I mean that is hard to deny we did see Ajayi get into Philadelphia become a serviceable fantasy asset off the bat I think when you look at these other backs in the offense though they still have Darren Sproles around we can't forget we talked about Corey Clement last time being a player that we think is already into the rotation so doesn't have a running back one type of workload but if he is able to hold steady with the share that he had last year and we put that through a whole season, I think he could finish in the top 24, but he's probably capped out on the edge of that territory. Um, Darren Sproles, I guess while we're on the topic of the Eagles, I'm going to just insert this question here. Do you think that uh, he does have any fantasy value this season? I kind of think we're at the point where he could have a spot here and there, but he's not the type of guy you want to be drafting. Uh, Yeah. Do you know what his ADP is right now? I do actually if we give me two seconds. It is Wow, two twelve um on MFL ten last week. Yeah, so. I think I think he provides value at that spot. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's I, I think it's a situation where he will have a few games where he has, you know, top twenty-four production. Uh, you know, maybe more than that, uh, just because of his ability as a receiver and then also as a return guy. So yeah, I think he, he offers value, not like huge high upside value, but, uh,
1: given where you can draft him, I think he does provide value. Okay. Now a guy that I kind of view in my mind in a similar spot because he was a dolphins running back kind of exceeded expectations when given that job Kenyon drake who followed right up after jhi had a strong season last year by all accounts given what you might have anticipated going in Kenyon drake will be a top blank running back oh man uh it's hard i, I guess i i don't
0: know I, I think he'll be a
1: top 12 running back Oh my God. Oh, wow. Matt Friedman bringing the heat. Break this down for me. I I don't, I mean, (sighs) you can't, right? It's, I I don't want to draft him there, but like,
0: I'm scared that that's what will happen. Um, just because there's no one else really on that team, uh, for him to compete with. Like, I, I'm not, uh, really enamored with Frank Gore as a guy who's really going to steal a lot of work. Uh, Kalon Belage is talented um, in a sort of like theoretical, like real football sense, but he's never been a producer. Uh, we've seen Kenyon Drake actually produce. Uh, so I, I don't think we can slot in for 16 weeks what he did in the final five weeks of the season. Right, but I think we right. can see something that's like 80% of that. And even that is actually still pretty decent. Like, I, wow. I say pretty decent, and it's not pretty decent. It's actually pretty good. Like, if you look at what he did the last five weeks of the season, that's like, like, extrapolated, like, 1900 yards on the season. You know what I mean? And like, a lot right. of that, a chunk of that is through the air. Uh, actually a pretty good receiver. Um, I think he's a three down potential back. So, I could see him being a, A mid range RB2, maybe even a low end RB2 if he doesn't, Mm. uh, if he doesn't produce well and then, you know, he has to share touches with Gore, but I could see
1: him being a low end RB1. Right. Well, here's the thing, right? He's a player still young at 24, 6'1", 210. So he's on the smaller side of that three down back territory. Now, last year, he didn't really start seeing significant usage you know, until week 13, you look at the, the attempt numbers, but at the end of the season, he still did see 45 targets, 29 receptions, 224 yards and a touchdown on those. So it definitely does speak to, they have an incentive to get him involved in the passing game. I think he can fill that role, that stretch that you talked about week 12, 12 PPR points, week 13 against Denver, 23, 24, the following week against new England, 23 against Buffalo. Obviously He's not a 20-plus fantasy point per game type of player. I thought that I was going to be um, optimistic on him saying that, yes, he was definitely going to finish top 24. But the fact that you came out and said that he's going to finish top 12 really blows my mind okay well,
0: well so I mean, let's kind of let's walk through this just a little bit okay so i think we could very easily lock in like Gurley, bell david johnson kamara zeke saquon kareem and then melvin gordon like as what the guys fournette? finish above him yeah leonard fournette so like those are like the, the top okay. nine guys uh and yep. then at that point you bring in maybe mccoy but he has some yep. bust potential maybe Devonte freeman uh who yep. like I think highly of but you know maybe there's a situation where Tevin Coleman starts to steal some of the workload uh you know maybe Dalvin Cook but maybe he doesn't recover from the ACL as well as we might think he would maybe McKinnon yep. uh but you know he's in a Shanahan system maybe another back emerges maybe Jordan Howard but Howard has limitations as a receiver maybe Christian McCaffrey But he's more of a receiver than a runner, you know? So like maybe he just doesn't emerge the way that we think he would. So then at that point, you're looking at guys like Joe Mixon, who I think has potential, but is still pretty raw. Alex Collins, maybe, you know, like at that point, like it's conceivable that like, like Drake is right in that mix. It's conceivable that he could finish ahead of all of those guys.
1: Yeah. So I find this interesting because when you break it down like that, it does seem very conceivable. And I think a problem that we have as fantasy players, one that I fall into sometimes, is you do get caught up in that player having that name or that track record. But when you take a step back, you look at this player and you say, there's not very much competition in that offense Can he fill multiple roles? Yes, he can. He should have the opportunity to see a lot of work. Is there any reason that we should really write him off? No. And there's other guys that in my mind, you know, I would like Christian McCaffrey, for example, in my mind, I'm thinking about him uh, as having a much higher potential here. Uh, or, or, you know, he seems like a more obvious choice for me for that top 12 sentence. But when you really step back, I think you made a lot of great points there. And I guess it, it kind of speaks to, especially at the running back position, it's very easy for guys that you might overlook just given their opportunity to be very, very successful players. So I'm, I'm, I'm on board with you there. I think you've kind of talked me into it.
0: Yeah, that that's great. I'm gonna become the poster guy for Kenny and Drake, and I really don't like feel all that strongly about him. It's like but like I I could see it. I could see like low end uh running back one. I wouldn't want to draft him as if like that's yeah. where he's going to land, but I think he has that potential. And if I could get him around like running back like sixteen to nineteen or something like that, uh I think I would be happy with that, with the idea that I'm getting him uh, close to like his probably like median range of
1: outcome with the upside for a lot more, all right, well, you know that the cover image for this podcast now that's going up on the site is gonna be Kenyon Drake, and I might just work in something about Friedman says Kenyon Drake is the running back one totally fine i okay. can live with
0: I can live with that
1: <laughs> okay, well, we did mention two guys in there. The first one that I was going to ask you about now, slightly different question here, but Christian McCaffrey will receive blank targets. Hmm. I mean, over a hundred, over hundred targets. I think pretty yep, easily. That's, that's what I was going to say too. Yeah. So, where, where's the where's the ceiling on the targets? I think it's probably around one fifteen.
0: Yeah, I was going to say I think his ceiling is around one twenty. He got one thirteen last year, and I think you know some of that was. Uh, you know, working him into the offense. So I think there's maybe room for a little bit more. And then also, I just don't think that they have a lot of other great receiving options there in Carolina.
1: Right. And, you know, he really is a solid receiver. I think it can give that team that other dimension. Do you have any fear about CJ Anderson taking any of those targets? Uh, not the targets, but the, the early down work.
0: Yeah. I think CJ Anderson is going to, to you know, play very much the, uh, Jonathan Stewart role and, uh, will serve to limit, unfortunately, uh, the, the
1: rushing upside that Christian McCaffrey might have. Yeah. So I guess that's one more of those reasons that maybe a guy like Drake, you need to realize there's more upside with. So final running back, we'll talk about here. Also got mentioned Kareem Hunt. Obviously, we all know he was incredible through the first couple of games last season, had a fantastic outing to start off the season. As the team kind of struggled in the midpoint, his production went down, came back up towards the end of the season. Where are you viewing Kareem Hunt? This doesn't even need to be a number or just give me some thought. Kareem Hunt is good. <laughs> he's, he's good. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's good. I mean, he's he's I think a, a locked in
0: mid-round, let's sorry, uh mid, you know, round one running back. Like I I think it's hard to um to say that he's uh, like more worthy of being picked, uh, like over Saquon Barkley or over Melvin Gordon, but he's kind of like right in that range. You know, like if, if you get him anywhere, I think from running back six to running back nine, you're getting him roughly where he should be drafted. And as long as he doesn't suffer an injury, I think he's going to be fine. Like I'm not scared of Spencer Ware coming back and stealing a lot of the usage. Okay. Is
1: there bust potential there? Uh, or I guess obviously every running back has bus potential in comparison to what is normally there.
0: Um, I mean, maybe, uh, I I think part of the bus potential could be that, uh, they have a new quarterback and the transition to the new quarterback doesn't go nearly as well as everyone thinks it will. Like I think that is part of the bust potential where the entire offense is just slowed down and he doesn't have some of the goal line opportunities that you think he might uh, or, or goal line opportunities comparable to what you would expect out of your average round one running back. So yeah, there, there's some bust potential there uh, in a way that you don't uh, expect to have bust potential with someone like Le'Veon Bell or Todd Gurley or Kamara or Zeke where you have a pretty solid sense of the roles they have in their offense.
1: Yeah, like and how
0: how their offense is going to function?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say Kareem Hunt is a solid option in 2018. I think last year probably the best season we're going to see from him in terms of an efficiency standpoint, even though, you know, as I mentioned, there was that section where things kind of tailed off, but I don't see him being a bust this year either. I think he's going to be a solid option, going to be a running back one at the end of the season. So I feel pretty good about Hunt. I don't know that I would be going out of my way to get him. I think if I'm in the latter portion of a first round, I'm probably going to go with the wide receiver overhunt. But if I see him early round two, he's available. I'm going to think long and hard about taking him. Final player I want to talk about, Drew Brees. Drew Brees is fill in the blank. Uh Undervalued. I think people are going to look at
0: what he did last year. Uh, where he was, you know, like only, uh, like the quarterback 11 in fantasy, as opposed (laughs) to like, you know, like the quarterback, you know, like one through six or something that he historically has been basically since he arrived in new Orleans. Uh, and I think people are going to, to, uh, undervalue him because of that. Uh, you know, so last year only 23 touchdowns, the fewest, I believe he has ever had in new Orleans, uh, you know, I think we can expect some progression. Like that's going to bounce back. Um, in terms of just like efficiency, he was more efficient last year than he had been in the, you know, previous five year sample. Uh, and, you know, completed 72% of his passes. I think people are maybe a little disillusioned with, uh, mm-hmm. with how he performed. But he's still very much Drew Brees. It was like a very Drew Brees-esque type of season, except he just wasn't throwing the ball nearly as often, yet he still completed the most passes in the league last year.
1: Yeah. So really what it came down to, as you mentioned, we saw fewer touchdown passes. The yards were down. Temps were down though somewhat, but you know, maybe the team this year doesn't focus quite as much on the running game, which I think that's one of the concerns. But the thing is, all of these concerns are getting baked into the ADP, and he still is Drew Breeze, and where he's going now in many leagues, um, I've seen him at points where it makes sense. You know, he's falling behind other quarterbacks that you could maybe make an argument have more upside, but I don't think that there's too much downside with Breeze. And though he is accelerated in age he actually is going to be 39 this season we haven't seen i wouldn't say that we've seen a real decline last year certain things were down um mainly the touchdowns but i'm still feeling like now breeze is at a point where he becomes a very attractive option so that takes us through all of the players that we wanted to talk about matt you have any closing thoughts anything that you're curious about before we close out no let's close this down all right let's do it so uh that's going to do it for today's episode once again i'm dave Caven. you can follow me on twitter at dave caben ff my co-host was matthew friedman who you can follow at matt f the oracle don't forget to call in 978-925-7628 and tell us your bold predictions this has been rotovis radio please subscribe to the podcast leave us a review and be sure to tune in next week Thank you for listening to Roto-Viz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.